episode of Dragon Age 2 on Normandy FM. Kenneth Shepard, we made it. We did it. We did. We got here. We were crawling by the end of it, but we made it. We, God, you know, it's, there, were, there were points along the way where I didn't know if it was going to happen. Where I knew that I just had to keep going, like it was a marathon, and, and you just got to keep the body moving, and now we're here. And I, Eric Van Allen, one of the co-hosts here at Norm DFM, alongside Kenneth Shepard, uh, I gotta tell you, I put down Dragon Age Origins after finishing Witch Hunt. The next day, I said, okay, I'm gonna get a head start on what I'm gonna play for Dragon Age 2. And I instantly devoured all of what we were supposed to play for this first episode in the course of about, let's say, an hour and and so. Uh, and then I continued devouring, mm-hmm. and I continued playing the Dragon Age. And in some ways, that's good, because uh, I wanted to preface this all with the season's going to be a little bit more freeform. Uh, once again, much like with Mass Effect, we are moving from a much more stringent and streamlined campaign to one that has a lot of different side quests that are uh, intersecting and interlocking and playing into the larger role of of the main narrative. So we're probably going to have our discussions be a little bit more free flow, especially in episodes where we don't have uh, any guests on. We will probably be trying to cover a lot of ground and, and kind of spreading out because we have a rough outline that we went over last time, but honestly that could be subject to change i believe actually since we last went through that outline it has changed Mm -hmm. uh due to guests that we are going to be bringing on so in the interest of that i will only be announcing our episodes a week out because uh things change and we don't ever want to uh set up expectations for certain episodes only to mercilessly crush them a week later uh, as we have been wont to do in the past but (laughs) um (laughs) Other than that, uh, Dragon Age Two is is something. Can I'm, mm. I? I think the first thing I want to talk about is that this game gets right into it. Mm. Uh, you boot Dragon Age Two up, you start that new game, and I remember this specifically because you were in my Twitch stream while I was playing this. Uh, you don't get to make your hawk right away you kind of just jump into the story and start playing. Uh, It has this very lively movement to it that I feel other RPGs do not. Um, And in some ways, it it reminds me of even more modern Western RPGs. Uh, I mean, Skyrim was of the time, but Skyrim does something similar. Uh, Even Inquisition does something similar where the action sort of gets going and then you get introduced to your character it finds like a clever narrative way to bring in uh the reason why your character's description is the way that you determine it to be and not necessarily uh what the game determines it to be but there are a few interesting things about the framing of dragon age 2 that i definitely want to talk about so Mm. let's start with the fact that this is basically persona 5 and we're being we're being told this story uh, no. through Varric, who is being 
interrogated by the one and only Cassandra Pentagast, a uh, seeker for the Chantry, uh, already introducing two characters who will play pivotal roles in the next game. We get to meet them here. And, and Varric plays, obviously, a pivotal role in this game as well, but... Uh, I already like this because I feel like it starts out by posing a lot of questions to the player, mm-hmm. which is something that I feel like Dragon Age Origins didn't do. Uh, Origins had a very uh, fantasy setup where it's you have your origin story, something tragic happens, and you're called to action in some way. Uh, here it's more... You're being told already that there's going to be something that goes down, but rather than it being some heroic defeating of the blight it's almost implied that your character might be directly responsible for what's going on or or at least like played a role in it and that is why cassandra who is Mm -hmm. uh a seeker for the church who's who's essentially like you have them listed here as like a spy um i think more inquisitor even though there are actual inquisitors in the church uh as as we will learn in in inquisition but i don't know if Spies? I don't know. Cassandra I mean, I think being if, like, a spy is a bit Cassandra weird maybe is like makes that less apparent, but other people who are involved in what's going on that we will mm-hmm. maybe not find out until the very, very end of this game mm-hmm. make me lean towards more that they are spies. Or like sort of like a police force within Yeah, that's the what church. I think of as like a secret police force. Uh right. like the Inquisition would be. Right. Uh, the real life Inquisition. Um And that's that's when this dwarf character we later learn is named Varric, uh, is telling her the story of the champion. Uh, and that's about all the introduction we get there before it immediately leaps into our hawk uh, fighting through this big, terrible blight, mowing down Darkspawn. You're given all these abilities right out the gate, just told to go wild and, and fight a bunch of Darkspawn, and then an ogre comes in and you fight the ogre and then a dragon swoops in and that's when Cassandra's just like hold on, hold on, hold on Mm. wait a minute how much of this do you expect me to believe and that's when Varric reveals that he's basically telling the folklore, the legend of the Mm. champion, but not the real story and that's what Cassandra wants so then we start over and we get to make our character and tell the real story of Hawk. So, Ken, what mm. do you think of this initial framing? And I know that you also have an issue with the way that it handles this setup in terms of uh, handling New Game Plus stuff as well. Right. So, a few notes here. One, yeah, the thing is, I have not played that... Everything that we've talked up to this point, I've literally not played in nine years. And the reason for that being... I knew in Dragon Age Origins there was, like, for some weird reason, Bioware doesn't integrate New Game Plus into these games, in which, when you're making a character in a a game, that specifically is where it got really frustrating for me, is that, like, I would have had to recreate my Warden every single time that I played Origins, and then, and that was, you know, back then, back when I, like, really enjoyed that game, that was probably, like, eight or nine times, like, over the course of that long period of time, and so I... I had smarted up at this point because I was like, okay, I'm going to at least prepare for the possibility that they have made this grave mistake. And turns out they did. Uh, and so I made a hard save on Dragon Age 2 as soon as I was able to 
uh, play as my hawk, you know, because you play as like the default in you know the folklore version of the story. Um, so like when I came on your stream and you were still playing as default hawk, I was like, ah, basic bitch, what are you doing? Not realizing that I guess, or like not forgetting, having forgotten that that whole section of the game is mm-hmm. not how I remembered it mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely once. didn't have to replay that section because of that you definitely didn't make me freak out and start over and then in the middle of it i i was like no wait i was right and ken was wrong we're stating it on the podcast <laughs> so on the on like the, the the specifics of like the, the whole framed narrative that they've got going on here i think on some levels it's really really cool because like you do have like they established very early on that Varric is not necessarily always a reliable narrator, and they're going to play with that in a few points that I think are really clever and often very funny. Um, on the other hand, though, having just played, like I put just played through Persona 5 again through playing Persona 5 Royal, um, I don't know that when it comes to the actual framed narrative that it, this is kind of like by design of this being like a very like a choice-based game where, you know, you sort of influence the outcomes of what these people are actually like talking about. I don't know that the actual frame narrative is that well executed when they are having to talk about things in the most vague way possible so they don't like undermine anything that you might do in the future. And that's not necessarily as apparent right here that's going to be in other, other points where Cassandra's like, but shit happened. And then Varric's like, but maybe shit didn't happen. And then she's like, but like they don't actually get into the specifics of how things went down. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. the nature of, like, the frame narrative, but it also, like, it feels like it's not as strong when you can't have these characters talking in things that are, like, fairly concrete. Mm. I guess I can understand that. I just, I think it's, when I compare it to something like Origins, where I felt like very early on Origins was, it has a good, I'm not going to, like, deny that Origins has a good narrative. It does have a good narrative. It's just very it's expected i guess in a way um it's something that i felt like i had seen and heard and watched a few times over whereas dragon age 2 ultimately you know it's still the same sort of story of hero rises you're getting the same origin story but the way it's framed adds this kind of foreboding presence over it like you know that your champion hawk is going to eventually do something that will result in the interrogation that you are seeing it kind of like you know the same thing that persona 5 does but persona 5 you actually get to act out the crime that ultimately results in uh the imprisonment before Mm. you get to it uh whereas here you're being told of it like if one of the phantom thieves accomplices was being interrogated later right so in that respect we also didn't touch on uh that when cassandra opens the book uh this book that is theoretically about the champion there is varick's face but there's also several other faces in a circle um Mm -hmm. on the page which already kind of foreshadows the potential party members that you could have or not have is possible to not recruit some of these characters uh obviously for our sake we will be recruiting all of them because why wouldn't you this cast rules but (laughs) uh it is possible uh but the other thing i like about once we get into the actual telling the truth part like you said varic is an unreliable narrator 
and once we get into the actual truth we go from this badass that's just mowing through darkspawn max level hawk to you are fighting for your life with very basic Mm -hmm. abilities uh your sibling is probably the one that's doing more damage than you are and and we should mention at this point that the party that you have uh is hawk themselves alongside uh bethany or carver and also your mother leandra so you have a male sibling and a female sibling brother and a sister and also a mother and you're all fleeing the the dark spawn uh from lothering where uh your your family's home had been made and i guess we should say at this point the hawks that we made uh for me i decided that now that the female character models don't look so strange uh and don't give them that goofy looking armor uh i went with a female hawk i had to go with the basic appearance because it was the only way i was going to have that sick blood splatter (laughs) across the nose i'm very mad about that but ultimately i think the default female hawk looks pretty cool and when i played da2 the first time i also did default male hawk for the same reason uh and i'm playing a rogue because i love playing rogue in this game specifically rogues are really fun to play and Mm -hmm. uh, i feel like da2 is is the section of dragon age where they realized how much fun a rogue should be to play how mobile Mm -hmm. they should be how fast they should be how much damage they should do all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so i'm really enjoying that uh ken what about your hawk uh, I had, um, so, I, I mean, and it's, it's going to be, like, a recurring thing for each of these games I played, you know, a male mage, and generally, you would think that that would be, like, oh, well, I'm just going to be kind of playing the same characters, like, I, like I did for Mass Effect, like, I make these characters, and I made them in one way when I first played this game, and that's sort of, like, how I envisioned that character anyway, so mm-hmm. things that I do in Dragon Age 2 are going to be the things that I did back in, like, 2011, and, like, when I was, like, you know, crafting the character of Hawk in my eyes, like, my canon Dragon Age playthrough. So, given that there was, like, a two-year gap between Origins and 2, they are, you know, they're the same class, but, like, I do make decisions on how I'm going to play them. Like, specifically, what I'm referring to here is, like, I'm not going to be a Blood Mage in this game because I had gotten a little bit older and I was a little bit less angsty and I was a little bit less, like, into that particular plot point of my character being a Blood Mage that did this, you know, taboo thing that everyone was telling him not to do. And then also, like, the general way this story goes makes it kind of... I probably Mm. shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Um, But here, they... And I feel like they kind of even drop this in Inquisition. They make the mage uh, class more action-oriented. And that's, you know, that's that's across the the board. But, like, um, a mage has, like, melee attacks and, like, actually can handle themselves in close quarters and stuff. So... On that respect, like, I really, like, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I feel like they, Dragon Age 2 is the game that is the more action-oriented game. And, you know, to, I'm sure there's, there are people that, like, purists that are not down for that. But I think it just makes the game more engaging than Origins ever was. Like, even things as simple as, like, actually having to repeatedly press A to do, like, a standard attack. Like, it feels more involved in, like, even the smallest moments. Yeah, it's... It's alarming how different the combat feels, but even when I was playing it uh, on com- on PC, I'm, so I'm playing on PC with mouse and keyboard, Ken is playing on mm. console with a controller, 
Uh, there are weird idiosyncrasies where I can definitely tell that this game was designed with console first in mind. Yeah. Uh, like, there are... Oh, there are just weird things uh, where I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel right. I've actually found that uh, the R button is kind of meant to simulate where if you're if you're on console and you hit A, Hawk will kind of go to the nearest thing that they can interact with, right? Whether that be an enemy that they can attack uh, well, or... Well, that's, that's the thing. thing like, that Origins did that. Dragon Age 2 doesn't. And, like, it's something I've repeatedly had, Dragon like... Dragon Age 2 doesn't? No, it doesn't. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I've repeatedly had that moment where, like, I'm trying to, like... I'm just, like, again, I'm so... We're just coming off of Origins, so, like, I'm used to being able to press A, and my warden would have walked, like, to the door, to the place I need to get. And when Hawk doesn't, I'm like, oh, right, I have to move him to make him Oh, see, that's strange. Because on computer, I can hit the R key, and it'll do that. I mean, it's, mm. it's not, like, a huge range, but if there's stuff on the ground near me, I find it's easier to hit R and then hit R again, which is the take all command. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's made looting like way better than it was in Dragon Age Origins. I guess like this is a good time because this is the part where the game throws you into battle and has you start to fight. This is a good time to talk about the systems changes that happen in this game that it sounds boring on its surface, but like I cannot emphasize enough how much better this game feels to me in the moment to moment action. Mm-hmm. than origins did uh the movement feels incredibly smoother i don't have this like kind of herky-jerky movement in the middle of battle where my character is kind of awkwardly sidestepping and and moving around to flanks and doing this weird like start stop i still get it occasionally on on computer uh, or i run into situations where it feels like my mouse cursor isn't getting exactly to where i want it to be and it's it's enough to the point where i'm considering in inquisition i might use a gamepad because that was actually how i played inquisition the first time around Mm -hmm. was i played it on pc but with an xbox gamepad and i have a feeling that i might go that route but there is no native controller support for pc dragon age 2 sadly Mm. um but other than that like you mentioned the action of this game and and the changes to healing and stuff uh, there are no more tiered poultices of any kind. There's just... You have health potions, lyrium potions, and stamina potions, as well as an injury kit. And that change alone, plus having basically dedicated hotkeys, at least on PC, uh, to just use a health potion, mm. makes the game move so much faster makes managing meters and stuff so much easier i feel like there's less of a focus on having a character that is that dedicated healer uh Mm -hmm. you know i do i can roll a party that doesn't have a necessarily quote-unquote dedicated healer and not feel like i'm hamstringing myself you know my my a squad would definitely still have someone like anders in it but that's just because if I'm trying to roll perfectionist and not, you know, like have somebody go down in the middle of a fight. But even then, if somebody goes down in the middle of a fight, I've had fights in this game so far where I lost half my party or even got down to just Hawk or, or even there was one where it was just Abilene in a fight and I could still rally back and still fight my way back and still end the encounter. And everybody gets up and I throw some injury kits on the people who went down and we're all good to go. And compared to, compared to dragon age origins where that stuff did not feel as good and dragon age 2 introduces so many interesting things like actually uh 
codified class combos. Uh, the idea that one character can set up a combo and the other can detonate it, much like you can in Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a few things like that in Origins that I was aware of, where if mages cast certain spells on top of each other, they could create certain effects. And, and obviously right. you had things like the tar, being able to set the tar or the oil on fire and things like that. But this stuff is not only just limited, it's not limited to magic, and it's much wider ranging. And also mm-hmm. your abilities come up faster, and you can skill into ways to make them come up faster. Uh, and they all have more interesting like I feel like I have fewer abilities but they all do more interesting things and become yeah. more interesting abilities as time goes on and and really like all of that just melds together and, and add in the fact that I feel like there's more impactful loot drops along the way as well mm-hmm. uh, and the ability to move things into junk and then easily sell that junk all of it is it's just a faster loop it feels mm-hmm like a faster game it feels like a more yeah. responsive game and right. it feels like a game that i'm 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 getting involved in playing it like origins it felt like i was having to pull the game to where i was to want to play it whereas this is mm-hmm. pulling me in towards where it is it's saying let's go let's fuck up some bandits let's throw some explosive flasks around let's backstab mm-hmm. this dude and then he gets he like blows up in in blood and guts because you've got this sick weapon that you picked up off a raider that's it's like special ability is like gory kills or whatever mm-hmm. so you you like destroy people in bits of blood when you when you kill them and it's like this this game just ramps up so fast and the old it's like the difference if I went from Dragon Age Origins and then went directly into Mass Effect 2 playing it as a Vanguard. You know? Like, I went mm. from, yep. okay, time to t- pause and look at the tactical menu and arrange my people. And then, like, I go to DA2 and it's like, charge shotgun, baby, let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's also, like, because you, you always said back in, like, when we were in Mass Effect that, like, you'd very much associated with, like, the charge shotgun loop mm-hmm. of... Mass Effect 2, oh, like yeah. how you envision the combat of these games. I felt I the it same in thing. my soul. I felt yeah. it in my soul. <laughs> and I have like this. I have like the same sort of like almost like muscle memory of like how when I have a Dragon Age game in my hands, like the thing that I want to do the most. And I haven't unlocked it yet because it's part of a specialization. But like the the Force Mage, which has been, mm-hmm. which it literally. I mean, it's, it's what it sounds like. It's like the Force, like Star Wars, and like I have this. I, I can remember, like, spell uh, setups that I would do where, like, I could drag everyone in. Like, that was, like, one of the abilities he had. And then slam them down so they'd be, like, stunned in that spot. And then I would have, like, Varric rain down arrows on them. And, like, uh-huh. just, like, all these ways in which, like, because, like, in, in Origins, it just felt like I was cycling through the cooldowns that I had at any given moment. Where Dragon Age 2 has, like you said, like, all these setups and all these ways that characters interact with each other, like, when you're in, just in combat, that is, like leaps and bounds ahead of Dragon Age Origins. Like, it, I don't. I feel like it almost doesn't get enough credit for that specifically. Like that it has that like Mass Effect one to two level mechanical jump. Mm-hmm. And and those abilities, like I said, are all so much more individually impactful. Like I think about mm-hmm. the ones in Origins, and so many of them felt like you were just taking up a level to get to the ability that you really wanted to use. But mm-hmm. that would give you some other ability that, like I I played through all of origins and its dlc and everything as a rogue and i could not tell you off the top of my head what dirty fight no not dirty fighting um that's that's the one that's stunned uh whatever the one is where you like sweep the leg or something and it's 
It's like an ability you get after dirty fighting as a rogue, and I still don't know what it does. And every once in a while I'd use it, and it would do some damage, and it would be like, success or failed, and I'd be like, okay, neat. But all it was was my character just did a slightly different animation, and it might have a status effect. And the battlefield didn't really change. I wasn't making that decision. Like, there there are so many contextual decisions that I'm making in Dragon Age 2 where I'm saying, like, okay, I need to position this flask so it hits a significant number of enemies and stuns them all mm-hmm. at once. Or I need to find the high uh, high priority target as my assassin uh and and take them out immediately i need to split up this group i need to have varic rain down arrows and a choke point like i'm making so many more decisions in the moment that feel good Mm -hmm. and you could do all that in origins if you wanted to but here it just feels much more concentrated and focused on you are going to make decisions that have impact in the moment with abilities that you get to know very intimately over time that are not just part of a giant skill wheel that you're flipping through, but this is like, you're going to define your character. I love that I can spec a character like just completely into the branch that I want them to go. And there's not going to be anything holding me back for that. And that I'm spending all my points on things that feel impactful. Like in, in origins, there Mm -hmm. were so many different, oh, I need to level up my herbalism or my survivalism so that mm-hmm. way my character can know animals better so that way when I get to the hala in the Brazilian forest, I'll be able to clear that check. And we haven't even talked about the dialogue wheel changes, mm-hmm. which are just absolutely wonderful. I mean, right after we get control of Hawk and we go through our first fight and we have our first chat wheel option, not only did I feel this like stir in my stomach when I saw the chat wheel come back, I was just like, oh... <laughs> It's a Bioware yep. chat wheel. Oh, and it's but also it's like the best one. It's so yeah. I would say good. it's it's like head and shoulders above Mass Effect. Even like well, I mean Andromeda kind of integrates the stuff that Dragon Age did, but again, it was like the the point where I felt like Bioware finally understood the ways in which a dialogue wheel. It's like if you're not getting like the full text of exactly what your character is going to say, they need to be able to make like tone and intention clear, which they finally fucking do in this game. And it's like Mass Effect should have had that at the beginning. Yeah, so they do a number of things with this dialogue wheel that I think are absolutely brilliant that I've honestly... If, if someone out there has seen it done in another game, then please tell me, like a non-Bioware game, please tell me, because I feel like this has never been imitated, and it should be. It's incredibly good. Uh, for most dialogues, you have either... Uh, I, I guess you'd call it like a pacifist sort of answer, like the very goody two-shoes answer at the top. You have the aggressive, you know, mean answer. You've got kind of a Paragon Renegade thing going on, but I I think they call it something more like... Like um, diplomatic, humor, diplomatic, humorous, or something like that? Aggressive, yeah, yeah. So diplomatic, humorous, and aggressive. I'm not exactly sure how this system works, but I believe it's that the first choice you make in an act for your dialogue choice and then the compounding interest of like successive choices eventually shape your hawk into being a certain personality that is reflected Mm -hmm. even outside dialogue choices your hawk will react differently depending on the general like which of those choices you are picking more often Mm -hmm. and it actually plays into some choices later on as well where if you hear a good example is that later on uh, in a side mission 
I could have tried to intimidate some guards uh, to back off. And if I'm not an aggressive hawk, then it'll fail. Whereas mm. in another one, I was trying to trick some guards to get them to run away from the spot they're supposed to be guarding so I could sneak in. And because I was a humorous hawk, I love playing humorous hawk. It's the mm-hmm. best hawk. It's so good. Yeah. Um, they bought it. They bought my act and they run off. Except because I had Meryl in my party, Meryl doesn't understand that I'm trying to play a trick. And so when I say, oh my god, there's a fire at the docks, and the guards go, there's a fire, we gotta go help. And Meryl's like, oh, I didn't see a fire at the docks. They're like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like this game is consistently blowing my mind at the way that all of these dialogue systems interact mm. and play with each other and have all these different checks and the way that mm. it was uh it was written uh a lovely friend of the show who i will not name uh made a claim uh earlier this week that dragon h2 was not a well-written game and even just playing through some of the first act i have to like strongly disagree because individual quality of the writing and some stuff that we get into in act three later on i totally understand where some of those qualms come from mm-hmm. but when you look at it even just from you are writing a game and the systems all need to interlock and all need to feel like they're checking and balancing each other well without making you really aware that it is full-on like a video game there's a really good talk that was given a while back uh, I believe is at GDC by the developers of Assassin's Creed Odyssey that was about uh, how to design good video game dialogue. And they go through a typical branch in Assassin's Creed Odyssey and they talk about all the ways that they need to write dialogue so that it circles back around so that way when the player is returned to a prompt they can ask another one of the investigate questions and it won't feel jarring and it won't like throw off the rhythm of the conversation and it'll feel natural uh and assassin's creed odyssey is maybe one of the only other games i've seen that lifts a lot of that bioware chat wheel sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and and does it in an effective way i really like assassin's creed odyssey because of that Mm. so all of this is to say and we haven't even touched on the fact that there are also like other options that include uh there's like it's like a halo and then a diamond and then a like like an aggressive like you're about to fight or whatever there are also uh romance options where it clearly labels if this is a romantic line that you would say that would give Mm -hmm. you points towards said romance there's Mm -hmm. a heart on it and it clearly labels that (laughs) also like it also tells you when it's just an option that will result in you picking a path and it it has kind of a yeah. crossroads symbol that that shows that you're kind of on diverging paths so depending on what you answer it will change whatever your next outcome is like right. all of it is so clearly communicated just through these symbols and it's right. so smart it's just so think, so smart and i think there's like a so something that I've, like has been kind of like a, a common criticism of like bioware games is that like when, especially when it comes to like stuff like romance, it's like, oh, I just have to pick the right answer to do the thing. But I think no, like it's, I don't buy that criticism because I feel like these ways in which they make these things very clear is about your intention, not about like, like if you want to boil it down to like the zeros and ones, but like yes, you were putting points into like the romance thing. But it is about like ensuring your character reacts in a certain way or speaks in a certain way that clearly communicates your intent as the player. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fair to like break that down to like the point system of it. I think that level of clarity 
is like again it was like Dragon Age 2 a lot of these systems were so far out of their time at the, that point because mm-hmm. like even Mass Effect 3 which came out like a year later didn't integrate this shit like it wasn't until Andromeda until that Mass Effect finally put these things in place it's 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 just incredible it's it, it, it's taking me aback in every conversation where I'm like I, I know what I'm saying I know how it's going to result I know how it plays into my character and it's also clearly communicated and yet the writing itself itself is still witty it's still fun mm-hmm. it's still yeah. it, it's making me laugh <laughs> like yeah like and that's a, that's another thing it's like it feels if you if, if think it's really easy to make comparisons between dragon age 2 and andromeda and that they are they feel like they occupy the same role in terms of like the tone and like not just not only of the story but of the characters and like specifically i think hawk and Ryder are like very comparable in terms of like the tone of like the kind of character they can be because you've got this you know, like, we made a lot of comparisons in Andromeda to, like, MCU, and, like, Dragon Age 2, in a lot of the ways, it feels like a British Guardians of the Galaxy, and just, like, in this, like, very, like, you know, this, this ragtag found family thing, which is, like, you know, it's a, again, that's what Andromeda is as well, but it's just, like, it is very different in tone than anything that came be- that came before, and certainly mm-hmm. anything that came- comes after. Like, Inquisition is kind of, finds the middle ground of Origins in 2, in a way, and I think, like, that's very indicative of like lessons learned from both games culminating in some the third game being something kind of best of both worlds in that way. But yeah. Oh, we haven't even I just remember another we've talked I just so much about We got to we got to move forward cuz we got to talk about there's another thing that we need to talk about in terms of dialogue and companion relationships that we should hold off on for at least a little bit longer until we can more naturally bring it into things. Right. So after we've cleared out some dark spawn uh, and we're introduced to our family, who all looks kind of like us, because they do, again, a similar thing to Andromeda, where your family all looks similar to the character that you've created. Uh, we eventually get to the point where we do fight the ogre that was uh, supposed to show up. And, and up to this point, we've been getting a little bit of backstory, mostly that our family is uh, running from Lothering. They used to live there. Uh, the father is gone as far as we can tell i do they clearly up and say that he is dead or yeah, yeah, yeah. okay okay um they i was trying to remember whether they said that there or later on uh but it is just uh leandra and the, and the three siblings and obviously you kind of have different relationships between the two uh and that all plays out when you get to the ogre fight because right at the start of the ogre fight one of the siblings gets their shit wrecked. <laughs> Just absolutely annihilated. Um, so, I, I, real, real quick, real quick. Okay. Depending so, yeah. on the class that you pick, uh, if you are a mage, and you had to explain this to me because I always thought it was gender-based for some right. reason. It's, it's class it is based. class-based. And it's the intention, as you pointed out, which makes a lot of sense when you know the entire story of DA2, is to be that you will always have a mage that is of like relative importance to your character, whether that is... Uh, member of your family or you yourself uh so if you yourself are a mage bethany is killed otherwise carver is killed and i I should actually mention i forgot to say this way back at the beginning but this is the only dragon age where you can't determine your race you have to be a human character Mm -hmm. and i know i've said in the past that i really like uh that dragon age lets you play as an elf or play as a uh, a human or plays a dwarf or all that kind of stuff and i stand by that 
However, I think that Dragon Age 2 makes enough use of the fact that you are a human to, you know, to narrative ends that I'm kind of okay with them limiting that factor here. Uh, Mm. I think it ultimately plays out for the good of the game. Also, I was probably a little bit... I just want a game where I could play as an Asari or a Turian or something. You know, I get that out of Mass Effect multiplayer, so I probably shouldn't harp on it so much. (laughs) I was, like, rethinking that as I was playing this game. I was like, man, I was really harping on that during the podcast, and uh, they're they're using it. They're using it well here, so I'm okay with that. Um, Anyways, uh, your sibling gets absolutely pile-driven, pile-driven, pile-drived into the ground. Uh, They're dead. We just yeah. skipped something, but like not on my notes. But like we can at least talk about this now. Um, so I have a, I have a, we okay. We were just so positive on this game. I have a one of the first hot takes of our Dragon Age Two season. Okay, hit me with it. This is the fucking worst scene Bioware has written in this fucking series. Okay. Like, so we'll mark that for the next time you say this is the worst scene that Bioware's written. I in this I, I literally can't think of anything that's worse because. Okay, so I get what they're trying to do here. Like they are, for one, it's like a matter of like game balance. Like you're trying to like make it where you have one, like you have, like they have a certain amount of party members they want you to have, and one of these doesn't fit here, I guess. And like narratively, they want it to be like, like I said, like and we said before, they want you to have like this one mage that I don't want to say like they put that burden on the character for the family, but like they want to have this one person who is always like putting the narrative impetus on this, for them to do things to get them in places where their family is not going to be torn apart by the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And that is well executed throughout. And, like, as a mage, like, it informs my relationship with Carver in later in the game. But they are so desperately trying to, like, move on past this scene that is supposed to be very important to, like, your character and, like, this family. Like, Dragon Age 2 is supposed to be this game about this family, the Hawks. And, like, they're they're who you start out in the beginning, and, like, the various ways that this family ends up by the end of this game is supposed to be, like, some of the narrative, like, touchstones of this game. Mm -hmm. But they are so clearly, like, trying to, like... The dialogue here is so laughably bad because... Okay, you have Leandra, the mother, who is, like... You know, crying over her child. Oh, and then you oh have... yes. We skipped over that on the way here, we meet up with Aveline and Wesley, who are... Aveline is a former townsguard of Lothering, and Wesley is a Templar, who obviously mm-hmm. is not happy about working side-by-side with either one or two mages. Right. And so, as this is going on, Leandra's, like, the one that's having to, like, tr- have, trying to have the moment, my child is dead. Holy shit. And then... All of the dialogue options you have as Hawk are basically the equivalent of F, F to pay respect. And, like, literally the humorous one is maybe we should grieve when we're safe. Your fucking sibling just died in front of you, in front of I, your entire mm, family. Okay. And, mm, no, okay. like, and then, like, again, like, you can, you can feel the game trying to pull away from the scene as fast as it can. Because then Wesley is like, oh, let me pray over your child. And I'm like, what the fuck dude you don't know us what are you doing here like what are you trying like you are trying so hard to get us to leave the body of my sibling here because everyone okay and fine yeah like dark spawn are coming we need to move but like i feel like the there is another death scene that we are going to get to they should have swapped they should have been like the real 
weighty moment should have been when your sibling is fucking dead. It should not have been the one that it is, and it's just, they could have done, like, they, it's, it's literally the scene from the first Avengers where the Hulk beats the shit out of Loki in, in the Stark Tower, and they, like, they're trying to make it emotional while also trying to, like, get you the hell away from this scene as, pos- as quickly as possible, and I just, like, almost ten years later, I'm like, I can't believe that this moment that is supposed to be huge in this character's life is so quick quickly swept aside. I agree with you that it's definitely like strangely paced considering something that happens later, though I think there are narrative reasons for why that is. You brought up that they are being chased by Darkspawn. You know, they need to they need to get away because that would be Hawk's thought. At least in my mind, like Hawk would be like, we need, you know, we need to keep moving. We can't stay here. You know, they need to be the one who is leading the family at this point because theoretically and you know realistically in my case carver who would be kind of the other sibling that had shown that they were like leading the family in some way is now dead (laughs) for Mm -hmm. you bethany died but uh in my case that's why i think the prayer part is a bit strange because we're like hey we need to get moving and they're like but let's stop and pray anyways and i was like okay that seems expressly at odds with itself Mm. uh whereas later on what happens there's at least narrative reason for why they would feel safe to not necessarily need to keep running so fast um and that's fair like i i agree on that front but then you should have switched them like they should it should have been the opposite yeah so let's get to let's get to that uh let's get to that part then so we keep moving and we keep fighting more darkspawn and eventually we are just getting overrun by an absolute horde and then the dragon shows back up and so that's when we find out that that part wait i just remembered i just remembered one fucking line that we have to talk about oh okay (laughs) the humorous one at the end at least father will have company now oh yeah no that's really bad that was a really bad line yeah like just literally shrug at your sibling's death and walk off like i just yeah okay but we learn that the dragon is an actual part of the story uh and this dragon that comes in breeze fire destroys all the darkspawn protecting the hawk family and aveline wesley is flemeth only flemeth is hot now (laughs) that's fucking Um, weird yeah it's it's like like, I, I get, like, on one, I will give them, like, I understand at this point, like, and, you know, throughout the game, really, like, they are getting to the point where they want characters to look distinct and, like, mm-hmm. have these, like, airs about them that they, like, Origins, every character looks like it could be made of the character creator, and that's whatever. But, like, here they're like, okay, we want our characters to start looking, like, iconic, like, figures in this world. I just, why does she look like that? Why does she, why, she is in full-blown, like, battle armor with a titty window and she's got like this like elaborate hairstyle it does definitely suit her like that is a flemeth ass look like it suits her personality i think very i think it i think in that sense like yeah like it fit it's like a maleficent look yeah yeah and like she's got like the weird like hair new hairdo that's like the the horns of a dragon like and Mm -hmm. like okay i was like that's not 
subtle, but it's like cool. It's cool. Like again, like like I think the design is interesting. Like I would have loved to have seen like maybe Morgan to come up with something along these lines, like in, in like a game from now. But like it is so at odds. Like because that's that's I guess the thing that I'm getting to is like when characters from Origins appear in later games, like, again, like, when they are getting to this point where, like, they want characters to have these very distinct looks, it at least feels like an evolution of, like, the, roughly what the look was of, for them in Origins, where this, it just fucking looks like a different character, and I'm just like, I, I don't get it. I, I like the idea that we had that, if nothing else, in, if they wanted to do this with this character eventually, that in Origins, when you go to fight Flemeth, she should have like kind of taken off the veil and gone from yeah. looking like just you know another crazy woman out in the middle of the the swamp to having this sort of battle armor look because that would have been yeah. a cool reveal to be like oh you've seen through my veneer you know who i really right. am and all that uh ultimately i think it's a pivot that needed to happen uh or even here if it happened where you could see her transform back into the, like a similar appearance to what she was in Origins when she mm-hmm. says, I have an appointment I need to keep right. or something like that, just as like a nod to the player that would have been fun and would have acknowledged that she has you know the ability to change her form and things like mm-hmm. that, but ultimately uh, Flemeth flies in as you note here uh, Sarcastic Hawk and Flemeth gel immediately, it's yeah. great it's like really good Like <laughs> this, this dialogue is already fantastic <laughs> like, because, you know, in Origins, all we really had, like, okay, we have the the Warden who is, like, you know, just a text box. We don't ever really, like, really hear them interact. And then Morgan, like, has, you know, her moments where, like, she ultimately does kind of fall in line whenever she does talk to Flemeth. So when you mm-hmm. have this character who is, like, kind of going toe-to-toe with her and just is kind of, like, not intimidated by the fact that she was just a fucking dragon and just, like, swooped down and destroyed a horde, it's great. Like, it's there. And mm-hmm. really, we don't really get another interaction with her on that level again and it's like it's really good and so at this point uh flemeth indicates that she has no reason to want to help us further but she becomes interested once she hears that we're trying to get a kirkwall which is where mm-hmm. our mother's family has estate theoretically and it is, we're trying to get there uh to flee for sanctuary and once we say kirkwall uh kind of piques her interest a little bit and she even says a little thing about fate and all that so it's Mm -hmm. a similar thing again to origins where the character has been saved by flemeth but for ulterior motives that we won't learn about though it won't take an entire video game for us to learn about them this time around uh so we're we're given an amulet that we are to take to some dalish near kirkwall and then flemeth agrees that she will spirit us off to safety or at least to i think it was like a port that will take us to kirkwall but before right. before that happens we got one other mild thing we need to take care of uh wesley it seems got a little punch drunk on the darkspawn blood during that last fight and uh he's got the taint and he's basically going over to the ghoul side mm. uh while we've been having this conversation with Flemeth, which I actually find hilarious, is that like we're sitting there shooting the shit with Flemeth, <laughs> and Wesley's in the back, like "God, I'm dying over here." <laughs> um, mm. So 
and to this point and i remember bringing this up on the uh the twitch stream i i twitch streamed my whole playing of the first section of dragon age 2 uh flemeth is here flemeth should theoretically know the the joining ritual because it's implied mm-hmm. in origins that flemeth is aware of the gray wardens and the joining and all of that uh no no other character though here would know that because none of them are gray wardens uh so they pretty much believe that there's only one thing to be done with wesley and that's to put him out of his misery before he turns into a ghoul and you have an option to either do it yourself or to let aveline do it right um i i agree with you that you say in your notes here and that we've talked about already a little bit is that this is given a much greater dramatic weight than the sibling Mm -hmm. death and it is strange but i will say i think that's done to give aveline a little bit more development than wesley Mm -hmm. it's not really done for wesley's importance you know yeah and at this point you know we're aware of aveline but we don't really have any reason to care about her as a character we haven't even talked to her much at this point and i feel like this at least establishes some sort of shared tragedy between her and hawk Mm -hmm. is that they both lost someone along the way and they both come from Lothering, and so they can both understand each other which i think helps later on because once we get to kirkwall and these characters start establishing themselves aveline kind of becomes the cop of the group Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and while she's a little bit more willing to bend and break the rules uh where necessary she is kind of one one of the justice characters of the group like one of the characters that believes in in good and so Mm. you need some reason for why she would be willing to say go do crimes with hawk and and still be down for that it's this like shared experience that they have Mm -hmm. I, i i've actually found that through this scene and through other scenes that happen in the game I've come to like Abilene's character a lot more than I did my first time through Dragon Mm. Age 2. I also, real quick before I bounce this over to you, I want to mention that as I was doing my research for this episode, since I'm playing on PC, I was interested to see if there were any Mm. interesting uh, options that were available because in past games like Mass Effect, I've used mods to kind of touch up the graphics a bit. And the PC version of Dragon Age 2 actually comes with a high-res texture pack that looks really good. Like, Mm -hmm. you were watching my stream and all that so you could see it, but even since i i've had moments where i'm just really floored by how good this game looks like nine years later it's a really and i i think that that comes down to a lot of stylistic choices that they make um there's a lot of just decisions that they made to not necessarily go for hardcore realism but go for more of like a fantastical look that um it just makes everything look really, really nice, even years later. But it, it looks very distinct as well. Like it's like it's like oh yeah, especially like it's weird to like look at the kind of the art style of all three of these games and see that Origins and Inquisition more resemble each other, where two is this very stylized like. Not I don't I don't know that it's like better or worse per se, but it is like it looks very different. Like characters that appear in one game do not look the same in two. I'll talk more about style once we get actually into Kirkwall because I think there's 
much to be said about the actual city of Kirkwall and, and mm-hmm. the style of it. Uh, there are just amazing touches in that city that I really want to talk about. But uh, the reason I brought it up is because, of course, one of the mods that was at the top of the list when I found it was a mod to make Aveline hotter. <laughs> or like mm. basically it made her look like either the default female hawk or like basically morrigan from origins yeah and there were plenty of those mods but another one i found that was deeply upsetting to me and i didn't want to put on blast on twitter because i want to turn it into a whole thing but there's there are like mods that change characters skin tones and things like that mm. that i find really problematic mm-hmm. And I was like, neat. You know, there's always weird stuff that you find when you go looking for right. mods. And, and you know, that's... It is what it is. But uh, yeah. that I will say that the other thing that I've really liked about this game is that all the characters have extremely identifiable, like, silhouettes, faces. Right. Like, they are... Abilene looks like a damn warrior. Like, she looks yeah. like a fucking warrior, man. She looks like she could get in there and beat your shit up. Like, man... Mm-hmm. If you want to and turn that will... into some anime knockoff girl like you'd see in all those Steam games, like, fuck off. Go find a different game. Yeah. Um, anyways, how yeah, do you anyway. feel about the Wesley stabbing scene? I do think, like, it, it is one of those things where, like, I think in an isolated sense, it is a very good scene. And I think, it, like, like you said, it really kind of gives you, like, this sort of rapport with Aveline that wouldn't necessarily be there otherwise. Because, like, again, like, you're you're fighting this whole time like you don't really have like an established sort of relationship even by the time that you like get into you know the time skip that we'll get to in a minute like if it hadn't been for that scene what would Aveline be to me you know like she's this person that was next to me or in my proximity while we were fighting out of the blight um but I think it's just gonna like it's always weird to see that scene in the larger context when the equivalent scene for your character was literally ogre smash and everybody pissing away about it i don't know i just mm. it's yeah it it's fine but in the context of what happens to the sibling it's it's kind of weird it, not even yeah. kind of weird it's just very weird yeah. but once we've once we've taken care of that oh did you have so i i forgot if you just mentioned it there but did you stab wesley or did you have Aveline stab wesley? i had Aveline. i was like i have known you for 20 minutes i don't have like i am not gonna be the person that like you have to remember yeah killing your husband like <laughs> I, I had the same thing and also like i was i kind of saw it as it was their choice and and they should be the one who chooses it not necessarily right. me um yeah. so at this point uh we we flee and we head to the port that will eventually take us to kirkwall there's a very fun line that we have here between our narrative frames uh cassandra asks did she send someone with the champion and varick says kinda (laughs) (laughs) uh, we get to kirkwall and so i feel like there's we need to kind of set the stage for kirkwall a little bit because it's going to be the place that we are in this entire season all of this takes place in kirkwall Mm -hmm. and kirkwall is an island uh, or, okay, I always forget. Is, is it a full-on island, or is it, like, on the edge of a peninsula or whatever? Um, well, you know what we're going to do, Eric? We're going to look, look at a map. Because I always the... picture it as an island, but I'm now suddenly realizing that I might be wrong about that. Let's see what we got here. It is a coastal city-state and a major okay, population center located in the Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Right. It's part of the free marches, which is like a larger conglomeration of city states that all kind of they they operate loosely with each other, but they're also very much their own uh their own independent governments and things like that. I kind of always envision them as in other fantasy things when you have like merchant cities and trade guilds and things like that. It's a very similar uh, operating structure one thing that is going to sort of color all of kirkwall is that it was known as a slaver city and in fact there are massive structures built remembering this the slavery that built this coastal city um there's a lot of chain imagery there's a lot mm. of uh even in the loading screens you see characters yeah. uh doing like forced labor and things like that Mm -hmm. Uh, as of this point where i'm at where i'm playing which is pretty close to the end of act one you don't it doesn't comment on it very often but it does paint the overall picture of what kirkwall is and i think as we get further in it starts to talk a little bit more about that stuff i am interested Mm -hmm. to see where that goes uh but the other thing about kirkwall is that it just has both due to that and due to it being this completely different place set apart from Ferelden and this the Ferelden land of, you know, high fantasy and all that, it feels like the designers got to make their world as they saw fit, and they got to make a very contained world that was very informed by the things that happened in it. So when we come into Kirkwall, there are these massive walls and these massive gates there's like imposing architecture everywhere um it's there's there are touches to this game that i i i hate using environmental storytelling but like (laughs) you you can really see how kirkwall became the city that is because you have this i mean you have literally a tiered system in the city where you have low town dark town high Mm -hmm. town and then the very upper stratosphere and characters throughout the game you're actually trying to climb from the lowest Mm -hmm. rung where when you first enter all the way up to the top i mean you want to talk about parasite and having that visual imagery Mm -hmm. of climbing the ladder dragon age 2 does the same thing and it even like almost gamifies that where when you're doing crime and stuff those missions take place in low town but they're often given yeah. to you by quest givers in high town mm-hmm. and i feel like there's this very de- i don't know if it's fully deliberate but it does feel like very strong to me this idea of all these stratifications and and tiers and society and society can society <laughs> <laughs> but the part where i knew that i just loved the design of kirkwall when i was playing it here and and I knew I really liked it because when I think about the Dragon Age games, you know, I can pick out individual missions and things like that from Origins and Inquisition, but I can never really pin down what that game looks like at a glance. Like, I can't ever say, like, if if you had to pick out what Dragon Age 2 look, what Dragon Age Inquisition looks like, it's this. But with Dragon Age 2, I felt like the second I was in Kirkwall, I was like, this is it. Like, I can feel the city. The city feels like a character as much as mm-hmm. any of the things around me. And there's a section of Lowtown where it's... I think it's actually an exit that, if you were following the map, would lead into the docks and the pier. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but there's a massive set of stairs, and you can only walk on one side because on the other side there is this giant constructed sled that is theoretically you're never told this, but you can intuit that it's used to carry significant uh, goods up the stairs because mm. otherwise it would be like a very arduous task to carry large crates up those stairs. So they developed a sled to do it. It's kind of mm. ramshackle built on top of these steps. And that tells you that, okay, you can now see, hey, here is this area that was built without that sort of transfer of goods in mind, but those goods are not staying in the place that they're coming into. They're not coming into the docks in Lowtown and staying there. They're moving up the sled and moving further up the stairs towards Hightown, towards where all the rich people in town are. And they've even developed a system to move that thing faster up towards the people that are that that own the coin and own the power and i just there's little touches that i just love about kirkwall in this section yeah. like it's it, yeah so all of that to say this setting might be my favorite setting in a game that we've had thus far i'm already yeah. in love with the city of kirkwall i could yeah i could go on about it um, yeah, i think it this kind of like the decent segue to like us arriving like they do a really good job like you assume like, like, you get to this point assuming that you have already seen the worst of, like, your journey to this point. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, oh, we're going to get there, and we're going to have an estate, we're going to be nobility, and we are going to be super important. And then we find out, no, that's not how it's going to be. We are actually going to have to work our way up those stairs instead of just walking right up. And, yeah, it, instead we're thrown into a rabble with a bunch of other refugees, and we're told that many of us are going to be turned away. And in fact, there are several tiers of guardsmen and people we have to get through. And again, we're still climbing upstairs. We're still moving upwards mm. every person we talk to. And every quest we clear, we get to move further and further up the, the stratosphere. And, you know, it gets us kind of above the tide almost. You know, those people are going to get washed back out to Ferelden or out to other cities in the Free Marches. And we get to see the actual effects of the blight, not just the people that die in the blight like we do in Dragon Age Origins, but I find Dragon Age 2's intro also interesting because we get to see what happens to the people that survive the blight and mm -hmm. how that changes their lives. And throughout this entire game, we'll have references to Ferelden's and people who mm -hmm. are refugees who are just trying to scrape by in, in Kirkwall and, you know, cobbled together what they can of a life and they're constantly looked down upon by the people who have been living in Kirkwall, which is, mm -hmm. God, Ken, this cave, like, mm -hmm. there's just, there's text, Ken, mm -hmm. there's text to grapple with. It's, <laughs> it's so good. Um, so after we've talked our way past the first guard, uh, we go inside the city, and at this point it is Hawk, uh, Leandra, Whichever sibling has survived for you, it's Carver, for me, it's Bethany, and uh, Aveline. And we know that we need to find some way into the city to talk to our uncle Gamlin, who is Gamlin Amel of House Amel, uh, which is our mother's side of the family, uh, mm. not the hawk side of the family. Um, we we eventually get to a point where Gamlin is going to come out and meet us and, and talk to us. We have to, we have to do a few things first. I, I'm suddenly blanking on what we have to do uh, to have... get to convince the guard to, Oh, we have to have that fight. Right. Right. Uh, we have a little bit of a scrap 
in the yard with some refugees who decide they're just going to try and fight their way in and kill their way in uh and when we help the guard he decides that he's going to go inside and look for gamlin and and bring him back out we already get kind of a hint that gamlin is not the stellar uncle that Mm -hmm. we hope him to be and uh we soon find out that that holds up because gamlin comes out and uh he can't help us into the city because we don't have the estate that we used to we don't have the pull that we used to we don't have the money that we used to most Mm. of it's gone by this point uh leandra our mother is just about at at wit's end with all of this and gamlin uh basically tells her that he has had to get rid of the estate to to settle a debt and even if we get into the city we're going to be just poor as hell (laughs) so uh and i think it's here that we learn a little bit about why leandra is not in uh kirkwall anymore or do we find that out later once we're actually inside the city you get hints of it that like she ran off with a mage right yeah she eloped with with a mage that that came through and that was that was hawk um but as as we learn we can get inside the city gamlin has some contacts and he can set us up either with a mercenary group or a smuggling group and we'll have to work a year to pay off the debt of them getting us into the city both ourselves and our sibling um we can talk to both of them and get kind of an idea of what they're about the mercenary group is definitely the crasser of the bunch Mm -hmm. i would say but they're very upfront about what they do and they even they talk about how you're well taken care of and the rules are very straightforward and the work is you know as honest as mercenary work can be Mm -hmm. but you will be killing a lot of people (laughs) yeah whereas you can work for the smuggler uh which is who I eventually went to work for. I'm so Same. I'm so sorry. I'm suddenly blanking on the name of the smuggler. I if you starts, put a gun to my head, it starts with an A. It starts with an A. I remember that much because I just did a side quest for her uh, the other night, but I cannot remember it. Uh, it's Elvin Smuggler. She tells us that we can smuggle for them. Uh, they're definitely. <laughs> What, what I do find funny is that Gamlin has told, at least in my playthrough, has told both parties that Bethany is an apostate. And I imagine the same is probably similar for you in your playthrough, that both parties are aware that you're an apostate. I don't think anyone mentioned it, at least not oh, in like these okay. interactions. Like Nobody said anything to me about it. Hm. Okay, maybe they're just planting that seed then for you to be concerned about your, your siblings' well-being then. Uh, but that was definitely with both groups they mentioned like it'd be nice having a mage too and you can be like wait you know that bethany's an apostate and they'll be like yeah gamblin told us <laughs> um so i'm like cool neat fun great thanks gamblin uh so i went to work for the smuggler uh they are a little bit sketchier but they lay out their rules pretty simple and they say that they don't deal in trafficking like they 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 call it skin they don't deal in skin but Mm. basically they they don't traffic people and i was like cool i can i can work with that uh and also smuggling sounds cool i don't know in another (laughs) life (laughs) (laughs) um i i felt like that was 
the better version and so now and you chose the same i believe right yeah 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 i was just like i what do i feel like i want to do for a year murder people or just smuggle shit like smuggling sounds kind of fun like it's it's like being a pirate (laughs) just generally less emotionally exhausting yeah and you know like we might have to kill people but it won't happen with the same frequency it's not in our job description you know if we need to go above and beyond you know we are here to do a good job exactly exactly uh also it just felt like it at least for me like i i am a rogue sarcastic rogue hawk i feel like smuggler fits that Mm. much better than mercenary whereas if i was playing like an aggressive warrior hawk i might have leaned towards mercenary um right but we eventually have we're, we're now given the task to kind of prove ourselves and that's to go uh strong arm a merchant that has set up shop here and has been uh swindling all of the ferelden refugees and basically like high you know, charging massive right. prices for for basic necessities can you imagine <laughs> so, i know right um we we go over to get the money that he owes our our, mer- our smuggler friend and we have a few options we can fight here uh we can try to like intimidate or smooth talk them or we can use one very cool additional thing that is uh introduced in dragon age 2 which is companion specific dialogue and while mm-hmm. we did have this in origins and some other games where characters that they were in your party would expand on certain ideas or have certain responses to things here you can clear certain conversation checks just by turning to a member of your party rather than handling it yourself right and this is used i feel incredibly well throughout like Mm -hmm. throughout dragon age like every time it's come up so far i've used it and i felt it it's it was very natural it was very good there's one with varic in a later mission that i really loved it was really fun uh but here aveline can step in and this is also i guess kind of the tutorial i suppose mm-hmm. uh to teach you that this is an option but aveline can step in and just kind of be like hey buzz off <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and and really like pressure them uh it's it's great this is where i was like okay aveline's awesome yeah uh and now we're smugglers did you use the the aveline option or did you use one of no the i ended up just because I, I guess i had done enough of the uh the humorous charming options at this point where i can add like a persuasive dialogue option mm. based in that and that's you know i guess it's kind of like the paragon renegade charm intimidate stuff like it, at least you know like you 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 do enough dialogue options that lean into one personality or another and you'll have like this extra set of persuasion options and it was one of those things like that yeah yeah uh so ultimately uh we succeed we get the money back to our smuggler friend we are smugglers now uh we get uh, is it here that we have one last talk with leandra i think it uh, is. It's we have this moment where like everyone kind of comes together and is like okay i guess this is home for a year and then leandra's like if only bethany slash carver were here and yes. i was like i know i'm trying so hard to care as much as the game will let me yeah, I remember that part, and I was like, okay, they're really laying it on a little thick here. Calm down. Uh, and then we time skip. We jump forward a year. Mm. And 
one part we'll only be briefly here for the time skip uh there's just one plot point we need to clear here but uh one thing i did like was that they change out your armor and stuff mm-hmm. for the time skip which i thought was very clever obviously the the things you have up to this point you're probably not attached to right uh they're pro i think it actually dumps them back into your inventory and just gives you a new set so it's not even like it destroys them like some yep. dragon age games do to your mm-hmm. inventory <laughs> uh but uh, oh okay we'll, we'll get to the end of this i'll bring up something i just remember we didn't talk about but uh we get introduced to the fact that now a year later we are about to leave the service or we have just left the service of our smuggler friend and we we're trying to come up with a new way of getting up into the city establishing ourselves and potentially winning back our estate uh as we gradually learn through the voiceover and through uh just ambient dialogue and things that happen here uh the templars have become extremely powerful under knight commander meredith that's a name that we're going to be hearing a lot uh things at the circle have become bad and the kunari have landed i know ken i was getting there i was trying to help you i was ramping ken (laughs) don't passive aggressive highlight things in gdocs while i'm talking um we eventually learned that the canary uh a canary boat was stranded nearby and they have taken up residence in kirkwall and has created a bit of attention in kirkwall let's say uh we'll learn more about that in later quests but for now just kind of put a pin in that remember canary kind of creating some tension in the city and, and, and this is another thing that I love that Dragon Age 2 does, is it establishes these factions very early on, and then you get to kind of see the conflict bubble and mm-hmm. simmer across the city in all different ways, how it affects all the different tiers of the city and the people of the city and how they all feel about it. Like, it's just, this game's good, man. Game's <laughs> this game's good. This game is good. Real fucking um, good. I, oh, so... It's at this point, uh, as we're planning to try and get into a Deep Roads expedition uh, with a guy named Bartrand, uh, who's heading into the Deep Roads to find some treasure that he believes will be available due to all the Darkspawn leaving, thanks to the Blight. Uh, we basically get told to leave, and as, as this is happening, a thief tries to make off with our coin purse, and they're stopped by Varric. Varric finally makes his grand entrance um as as we introduce ourselves to Varric and as we kind of talk to uh Bartrand even you are highlighting something that you want to talk about uh rivalry friendship discussion here is just what you have I'm trying to follow So your, I mean the reason I was bringing it up here is because okay so this before like before Varric even comes up this is going to be like a scene that is going to be different for you than it is for me because you have Bethany I have Carver oh, okay. and the interesting thing about it's like as soon as you start this game and you open it up, they have replaced approval in this game with a new system called friendship and rivalry. And oh, if yes. you like, yeah, when you start out, Bethany is already like leaning towards friendship, and Carver mm-hmm. is already leaning towards rivalry. So the reason I thought it was a, I mean, it was up time to bring it up here because like this scene, Carver's being a dick to me because he's like, we're running from your Templars right now because I like the as if the state of the Dragon Age universe is entirely upon my hot shoulders, and. 
Whereas, like, with Bethany, I assume that it's a little bit different. With Bethany, it was a little bit more of a, like, we were collaborating. Like, we're in it together. Mm. And Bethany does bring up that she's worried about the Templars. Uh, but it's more like, Bethany is worried and I'm the protective sibling that's trying to take care of them. Right. So, I think that dynamic is interesting then. The idea that Carver... Is, is kind of putting some blame on you in a way. Yeah. Like he's being a jerk about it. Whereas with Bethany, it's much more like you're protecting your sibling. Uh, that's obviously like why I like that version of the story is because I myself am an older sibling. So I have mm-hmm. those protective tendencies kind of built in as most older siblings can attest to. Yeah. Um, and and it, it, it's good that we do. I, I completely forgot that we hadn't even broached... Uh, friendship and rivalry because yeah if you think about it in in most bioware games i mean really all bioware games except dragon age 2 uh i guess this actually kind of skews a little bit more towards kotor in a way where you can kind of influence light side dark side but yeah this is like an extension of that where on either end you will max out the relationship with the character but it flavors that rather than light side dark side which kind of informs the character's growth of themselves as it's been influenced by the main character here it reflects the relationship that that character has with hawk and Mm -hmm. so characters will have different outcomes of their own stories but it'll be reflected by the way that they've interacted with hawk and the events around them and i think this just really ties back into things like the dialogue uh entries for specific characters in that this game does such a good job of making your party always feel like a cohesive unit that's Mm -hmm. in it together and even when you're swapping out party members on the fly and things like that, it always feels like my party is present for what's happening and even mm-hmm. an active participant. Um, as we get further in and we get more characters, like I mentioned, there's the Meryl scene, which is just absolutely fantastic. But there are even other times when Isabella has stepped in and made like a witty follow-up to my sarcastic mm-hmm. response and things like that. Uh Aveline will kind of question characters further and provide additional dialogue or provide counterpoints to an arguments or you'll even have situations where you're making a decision that a character in your party directly disagrees with but rather than turning it into a thing where it's like oh this character is going to throw down and you have to like kill them (laughs) right Mm -hmm. here uh you kind of develop a budding rivalry with them and that Mm -hmm. does play out ultimately at the end of the story but i think it's interesting again we talked I, I talked about how you can see these conflicts that affect the larger game sort of simmer and bubble uh underneath the surface mm-hmm. as you're building up and i feel like the same thing happens with every character's relationship to hawk right. and how that plays out in the end because i think an interesting thing to note is that when cassandra's interrogating varick the idea is that Varric is knowledgeable of hawk that does not imply that they are a friend of hawk or an ally right. of hawk and right. i think that framing is very important because I, and this is getting way ahead of myself but uh down the line once you've maxed out a friendship or a rivalry with a character and you've like cemented that you can lock it in 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think at that point it cannot change, right? It's right. it's it's locked into place. Mm. They they get an additional thing on on their skill tree that that mm. notes that and gives them yep. a, a mild bonus to certain things. And it'll have flavor text about how that reflects the character in the modern day, uh, right. like like you're reading their entry in the book. And for Varric, if he's friendshiped with you, it says like Varric had to be the one to tell your story. But if you're rivalry with him, it's like Varric had to be the one to tell your story, whether you like it or not. And like right. just that little addition like reflects yep. the system so well, where it's like, yes, all these characters had Hawk in their lives. That does not mean that Hawk was a good influence in their lives or that they had a right. good relationship with Hawk. Yep. And, and I think I was going to say, like, and I think another thing to also make apparent is that these also factor into like romances as well, and like yes. they can make like some like okay, like if you're friends with somebody, like you know, it's a very it can be like I mean, I don't mean to like talk down to any specific romance, but it's like it can be a more kind of like standard Bioware romance where like they you know they really get into know each other and they are agreeing on these things, and you're almost like quote unquote saying the right thing to get the romance, but then you can have the, the rivalry one, which like it completely changes the relationship in a way that I think is really interesting. Like, and I think it can make like, cause like the, the more like the diverging paths of romance of like a lot of bioregans is like the Jack thing in Mass Effect two, mm-hmm. where you can have this, you can have this like, you know, the floppy casual sex at the, in the bottom of the Normandy, or you can have the thing at the very end of the game where it's like Jack is opening up in, you mm-hmm. know, a more vulnerable way than she ever was. But here I think it, it just, it makes them all, it's more interesting to see both sides of like ways that ways they can go because like I I mean I won't spoil like who who it is gonna be and like the ways in which it's gonna change. But I always have done a rivalry romance in Dragon Age Two with the character that I pursue, and it has made I don't know that Dragon Age Two's romance as time has gone on resonates with me in the same way that like Caden does in Mass Effect or Dorian does in, in Inquisition, but it has made it like a very distinct memorable romance that really sets it apart from everything else I've ever done in this studio's body of work. Yeah, I was going to say the character that I think you're talking about specifically... um, No, I'm thinking of a different character. But uh, I will say that, like, the idea of a rivalmance, as as it were, with, with, like, a character like Anders can end up being a very effective vehicle for storytelling Mm -hmm. as the game goes on. Yeah, and I think another thing to, like, point out is, like, when you're in a rivalry relationship regardless of whether romantic or not it's not necessarily that you are actively antagonistic towards them it is more like so like we're gonna meet a character named meryl in the next episode and like Mm -hmm. the rivalry relationship with her is not necessarily like you actively berating her for everything that she does but it's more about like maybe your vision of what you think she should do with her life is different than how she starts at the beginning and it's not necessarily that okay like it's going to be antagonistic for a while but like maybe in the end she can be in a place that is like maybe you and she has come around to that like you believe that this was just like the better way for her life to go like this sort of like you know tough love sort of thing as opposed to like constantly antagonistic and just like being awful to one another and it i think makes- that's also I was going to say, I think that's sort of the case for a lot of these characters. Like, to have the, the rival romance is not just about, like, fighting all the time. It's, like, you trying to get them to kind of confront the way that they view the world to be. Mm-hmm. It, it makes these relationships so much more nuanced. And mm-hmm. 
And also, like, they branch in, in interesting ways that then feed into their individual stories, that then feed into the larger story. Like, Dragon Age 2 is probably, I'd say, the smallest Dragon Age game mm-hmm. in terms of scope. I mean, it is very concentrated. It takes place right. solely in Kirkwall. It is purely about these characters. And when you think about the conflict that happens here, you know, there's a thing that happens here that ends up resonating across Thetis, but the scale of it doesn't really happen until the end of the story. And honestly, I'd say it's best conflicts happen on a small scale mm-hmm. and it ends up playing so well. And, and, you know, we, we just came off of dragon age origins where everything had a massive scale and there were these armies that were mm-hmm. clashing and things like you're fighting right. the arch demon and all that. And when we get to inquisition, that scale ratchets up like another tenfold you know we're literally dealing with continent-wide threats and things like that but here everything feels very focused and i think that just plays so well to to dragon age 2 strengths like right i and to bring up a recent game so obviously like we've talked about it on this podcast before but greedfall is a game that very clearly wanted to if not imitate, then directly lift a lot of the things that Bioware RPGs have done, and I think Dragon Age 2 in particular, because when mm-hmm. I played Greedfall, it definitely felt like a spiritual successor to Dragon Age 2. Yeah. The The difference being that I think it ultimately ended up trying to go for that large scale, that that uh, like island-wide scale and all that, uh, and also it had its own issues mm. to deal with, but... Uh, I think it at least understood that the small scale stuff can really play mm. well, and and that's right. what I just end up continually loving about this game is that mm. it tells yep. stories on a small scale. It's not afraid to put importance on the small scale stories. Right. So and I think there's just to like kind of book in yeah. that particular thing. I think there's something to be said that like a character like Cassandra has to go find one person who was there. It's not like. Like, okay, everyone knows, like, the end result of what happened, but they don't know how it got to that point. Mm-hmm. Like, it is something that is not spread across status in the way that, like, the the story of Origins is, and, like, again, like, the story of Inquisition, which is this, like, you know, this continent-wide scale of just, like, something that is going to affect and be known by literally everyone, mm-hmm. where this time you have to go find this one particular person who happened to be there and, like, watch it all play out. Mm-hmm. Also... That person who tells us this whole story now shows up. Varric uh, stops our would-be mugger and returns our coin purse to us. And I like that you note this in the notes because I felt this when this happened too. But it does feel like Dragon Age has learned a little bit from Mass Effect in terms of giving its characters the sort of theatricality that they mm-hmm. deserve and sort of the, the introductions that, that they should have. Because when you think about, you know, when you meet Leliana in dragon age she literally just walks up to us yeah she just walks up and says hi and like same with like sten or uh we found in a cage yeah like like zevran is maybe the most right i don't want to say bombastic because that's not a good word but (laughs) he's got the most theatricality to his introduction right in this game i feel like they do a very good job of introducing who these characters are what drives them what fuels them and why they're involved with Hawk. But also, like, these characters also have things going on in their own lives uh, that we'll see kind of develop over the course of these next few episodes is that 
even when you're not with these characters, they have yeah. their own places that they hang out. This is not like you don't have a Normandy or a campsite right. where all these characters are kind of following along at your heel. It's it's like you you go to their house and you're like, hey, we're gonna go on an adventure today. Right. We'll go to the bone pits, figure out what's going on with these dragons that are supposedly there and things like that. And yeah. oh man, this game can this game's game. fucking good. It's like it's, it's I mean, really fucking good. <laughs> I, I want to go play it now. Like, I, like as soon as this is over, as soon as like I finish editing this episode and put it on Patreon, I'm gonna go fucking play this game tonight. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just, I got forward momentum that I haven't had on this show for like a game and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm fucking ready for it. So we get to a point where Varric introduces himself. He knows who Hawk is. Knows that Hawk is a notable smuggler. He is Bartrand's brother, and he is intending to go on this expedition, but he doesn't want to just bring on any yokel he wants somebody who knows what they can do and he has identified hawk as somebody who knows what they can do uh but to get in to get our foot in the door we're going to need to show some coin we're going to need to show some investment and become a partner uh, mm. instead of just you know a hired goon uh so we need 50 sovereigns or 50 gold coins to get into this expedition and that that is not only where we end the episode but I love that setup of, okay, you need 50 gold coins. Mm-hmm. Go. However, you, gives however you, you can get it. It gives you a little hint that, you know, oh, Aveline is in the city guard now. Let's go check in on her. Uh, let's see what she's up to. Uh, that might give us some idea of what to do. But other than that, it's just like, hey, go make coin. And it it just opens the city of Kirkwall up for you and all the quests that proceed from there are just ways for for you as the player to learn the city and learn mm-hmm. its characters learn its areas learn its uh where everything is and kind of get a sense of the geography by the point you get to where i'm at right now which is right before the end of act one i feel like i already know every area of kirkwall intimately mm-hmm. like i can identify different areas as oh, this is the area outside the Chantry versus the area outside the Blooming Rose. Here's uh, Low Town. Here's Dark Town. Here's the Alienage. Uh, it's it's so good. It's fucking good. Like, I'm... <sighs> oh, man. Dragon Game's Age 2. <laughs> oh, Ugh. the thing I was going to bring up that I forgot to mention is that we do import a save from Origins. So, theoretically, some of the choices from Origins will carry over into this game. Mm-hmm how many of those choices actually carry over Eh. Uh, we will have a few that pop up in quests here and there uh, specifically some characters that will follow us along on our journey to Kirkwall and maybe some residual things from Awakening and other things like that but I would say that the carryover from Origins at least in my experience so far has not been major It's, it's, it's strange that like the carryover seems like Origins to Inquisition more than it does origins 2 mm-hmm. just because like and i mean inquisition is does go back to ferelden as well as other places so like, there's more room for those things to show up again but uh yeah we will see how it all goes down but that that's the conclusion of a very long and very enthusiastic first episode of dragon age 2 on normandy fm uh can I'm I'm just I'm thrilled. I'm I'm very happy to be playing this game. Uh we've yep. got we've got some great stuff lined up. We're already working on getting some 
guests together and uh, just creating a great season. <laughs> I'm just, I'm really vibing, man. I'm here. Yep. Uh, next week, we'll be recruiting Anders and Meryl into the group. So we will be doing their respective quests, uh, which will include us finding out what was going on with that amulet. And also, of course, meeting Anders once again, the wonderful character who we all know and love from dragon age origins awakening and who is maybe a little bit different than we left him last time and let's just say that uh he's as always teen angst phase. He's, he went through a thing he went through a thing you know we all have that moment you know some of us listen to my chemical romance other people ingest a spirit you know it is what it is <laughs> uh as always we are normandy fm we have a patreon that helps keep the lights on around here uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and help support us and do so. We have certain tiers, and at certain tiers, you can become a patron who gets a shout-out every week on the podcast. So to those patrons right now, Kevin Kulikowski, Ginny Wu, Chris Johns, Anthony Mathias, and Colin. Just Colin. Thank you so much for contributing to the Patreon. Thank you to everyone who keeps us going through this. We're so close to Jade Empire, Ken. We're close to Jade we Empire. We are. We are fairly close to Jade Empire. Jade Empire could happen. And if we get there, I, if it's anything close to Dragon Age 2, I'm already pretty excited. Because I've, <laughs> I know incredibly little about Jade Empire and its story and what happens and everything like that. But I've been consistently told by people who now know me and know us as Bioware knowers that I have never played Jade Empire. They're always like, you should play Jade Empire. So uh, <laughs> if you want to make me play Jade Empire, you can do that by contributing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash normdfm. Or if you don't have the means to do that right now, you can head over to twitter.com slash show and just follow us there. We post every time a new episode goes up for both patrons and for all you listeners out there who listen through whatever services you use. Ken... Oh, I'm going to go play some Dragon Age 2 after this. Welcome to Kirkwall, y'all. Oh, we'll see you next time here on Normandy FM. We have watched and waited. 